Father, you are holy and you are merciful. And through Christ, you take away our sin, our shame, our guilt. It all has been nailed to the cross. And our soul can arise. Our soul can arise because in Jesus we are forgiven. In Jesus, all of our sin is paid for. praise you. We lift your name on high for that. That you love us. You adore us. You like us. You have and strive us in the palm of your hand. And your word says you dance over your people with shouts of joy. You want to be with us. You want to fellowship with us. And so Father we ask you that, that you meet us where we are this morning. We're all dealing with something in our life, some issues, some sin, some brokenness. And we all need you to come and speak your truth into that, to encourage us, to give us hope, to sustain us, to give us rest, to be our refuge. You are our all in all. Everything we need is found in you and your provision. In Christ in my prayer. Let the poor say I am rich because of
Bibles with you. Open them to 1 John. Beginning with uh, chapter 1, verse 5. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his truth and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Let us pray. Your word is truth, Father. Your word is right. Your word is holy. And I pray that your spirit will come and he will take your word and apply it to our hearts and apply it to our lives. And then if our lives are out of line with your word, Lord, you will bring us in line with it. And as I pray all the time, Lord, this is not about me. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the head of the church. I am a shepherd, an under-shepherd to the shepherd. And I pray that you will be glorified, that Christ will be lifted high, and people will see Jesus, Lord, and he will be made great during this time. In Christ's name I pray. And every month I travel to, uh, to Birmingham for church planners training. And a couple of months ago, um, we had a guest speaker from St. Louis come. And I think I shared this with you before. He told us a story about how he used to discipline his son, what he used to say to his son whenever his son was disobedient. He used to say, son, you are a bad boy, a bad boy. Because you did that. Every time his son did something wrong, this is what he would tell him. You are a bad boy because you did that. And then his wife one day asked him, is this the way God treats you when you're disobedient? Does God say you are a bad son because you did that? He thought to himself that he became convicted because he realized, no, this is not the way God treats him whenever he is disobedient. And so now, whenever his son does something wrong, this is what he tells him. He says, son, don't do that because you are my son. Son, daughter, don't do that because you are my son, because you are my daughter. Do you see the difference? This is exactly the way God deals with you. His sons, his daughters. He does not say, Alex, you are a bad boy for doing that. 
He says, because you are my son, Alex, you shouldn't live that way. Because you are my son, you shouldn't do that. He motivates us to live for him by reminding us of who we are in him. Who are we? Who are we in Christ? We are imperfect people in a fellowship with a perfect God because we have been covered in righteous blood. That's who we are. And he calls us sons. He calls us daughters. And in this section of 1 John, John takes the same approach. You see, last week we saw that John wanted all of his readers to be in fellowship with the Father and in fellowship with the Son. And his joy was going to be made complete when that happened. And now he's going to use that fellowship to motivate them to to stand guard against false teaching and to also give them assurance that they have salvation. He says in in chapter 2, in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This phrase here, I'm writing to you, is repeated throughout this letter. And he's saying, I'm writing to you, Because you already know the Father. He's writing to the church. Because your sins are already forgiven. You're already in relationship with the Father. You already know the Word. You have already overcome the evil one. Because all those things are true about you, I'm writing this letter to you because I am concerned about you. So he's not writing to people who don't know Christ. He's writing to those who say, I know him. I have a relationship with him. He doesn't want them to become complacent. He wants them to have an assurance of their salvation, but he doesn't want them to become complacent and fall into false beliefs. And as I said last week, there was a group in the church that John wrote to who taught things that were not true, who believed things that were not true. And so in giving us assurance, he wants us to be able to stand firm on what God's word teaches us. Not to drift off into our unbelief. And to drift off into believing things about Christ that is not true. The church here in our time, we're not immune to false teachers. We're not protected from from false teachers rising up in the church and teaching things that are not true. It happens every day. Every denomination. And we don't realize how easy it is to fall under false teaching. And how gradually you can begin to believe things that are not true. We can fall. Do you, do you understand that? Do you believe that? I can't hear you. <laughs> he wants us to continue to grow, to press forward, to stand firm, and not to be lazy to the point where everything you hear from the Word you think is true without ever checking up on it. If I'm preach something and you're like, well, does that sound right? You need to go to the Word and see if it's right. If you hear a sermon on TV, on the radio, go back to the Word and say, is that true? Just because 
a person says, I'm a preacher of God, he might not be a preacher of God if his word and his message is not scripture. And you won't know it's not scripture if you don't know the word. You're just like, well, that's a new revelation from God, so I guess I need to do that. Know the word for yourself. Long to be in a deeper, really richer devotional life with Jesus. Be careful and watch over your life. Learn to sharpen your walk. Some years ago, a friend of mine, he, he received a car from a family he went to church with. It was a nice car. It was a reliable car. It got him from point A to point B. But one day, the car stopped working. It turned out the engine locked up on him because it didn't have any oil in it. <laughs> he never checked the oil in the car, and he never changed the oil in the car for six, eight months. And then it eventually died. And like many of us, there's two words you quickly learn when you have a car. You know what that word is? Preventive maintenance. If you don't do it, you pay the price down the road. Getting your spark plugs changed, tire rotation, your oil changes, your tune-ups. When you do those things, it prevents you from having to pay for a major car expense down the road. Now, if you do that for your car, what about your life? What about your relationship with Jesus? Should you, perform, should you perform preventive maintenance for that? Preventive maintenance in your life, in your relationship with Jesus, in your relationship with God. This is what John called us to do. Because even in your relationship with him, there are still things that can hinder that relationship, that can hinder that fellowship. I mean, it's like having a cluttered desk or a bed or a closet. You know what I mean? Do you have a cluttered room, closet, desk? Anybody? Or is it just me? <laughs> you know the desk is there, but it's cluttered with so much stuff, you can't even see it. Bills, papers, Big Mac boxes, whatever is there. In our fellowship with God, we, it can be cluttered with so much stuff. Cluttered with so much stuff that we place on top of it. Our busyness, our unbelief, our legalism, our false teaching, our sin. All that stuff can clutter at that relationship. And John is saying, you need to perform preventive maintenance this morning on that relationship. And John deals with it here. He deals with three false claims or misunderstandings that are not just unique to these false teachers, but it can be true of me, it can be true of each of you. And so you, got, and so you can't tune me out. You can't say, well, I got my stuff together, Alex. I don't need this sermon my neighbor needs it. No, you need it. None of us get to the point where we're so holy that we don't ever need to do any preventive maintenance in our relationship with God. We have to do it all the time. So, each of these false claims, they all are tied to a misunderstanding of God. And this is one thing I'm learning, is that when I'm struggling with something, there's always something I'm also struggling with about God. If I have a false belief or a false understanding about God, it messes everything up in what I believe as a Christian. John knew this. And this is why he says in, in, in chapter 1, verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him who is from the beginning, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. 
What does that mean? He is holy. He is morally perfect. Perfect. He is spotless. He is blameless in every way. And you can't read through God's word and not see that. That God is a righteous, holy God. He is light. That's the starting point. This is what John is saying. You have to see that. And this is what the gospel shows us, too, that God is holy. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You cannot look at wrong. Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 36 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Psalm 5, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Our God is, is the high and lofty one. He lives forever and his name is holy. Our God is light and in him is no darkness at all. One pastor says, it is the nature of light that is to be visible, to make itself known. God does that. He has made himself known. He reveals himself to you so you can know him, have relationship with him. And the fact that he's holy, the fact that he's perfect, will never change, ever change. And we have to understand that. Because if you don't, that misunderstanding will clutter your fellowship with God. Just like these false teachers. And John shows us that their misunderstanding to God led to them to have a misunderstanding of fellowship with him. If God is not holy... If God is not really liked, then, what, then that means when you're in fellowship with him, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. And he's cool with it. He's cool with it. And that's not true. John says in verse 6 and 7, If you say you have fellowship with the Father while you walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. If I make a verbal profession of knowing Jesus, I love Jesus, I sing songs about Jesus, then I must practice what I preach in my life. There has to be some consistency in what I say I believe and in the way I live my life and in the values that I hold to. If you don't understand that being in fellowship with Jesus means you also live for him, then you have a misunderstanding of fellowship. You see, the false teachers, they, that they thought they could be in fellowship with God and still continue to live an unrighteous life. That they didn't think sin still broke fellowship with God. That God was not cool with it. To walk in darkness, what does that mean? It means it's a person who claims to know God but still continues to make a habit of living in sin without any sense of conviction. I'm going to live in my I'm going to live in my sin, but it's all good. It's all good. I got my grace coupons. I'm all good. God is okay with me doing it my way. Cuz I got grace. One Christian author said that's easy grace. Easy grace. If you're living in sin, 
You know it. You know if you're not living right. Because you're creating the image of God. And you know when you're doing things you shouldn't do. I don't have to list off things. You know if you're not living right. And John says you are a liar and you do not practice the truth. If we walk in sin, live in sin, and claim to know God. You're bathing in mud. So how's that mud bath going? For me, for, for you. And the question that, that, that I asked myself this week as I was preparing the sermon is, does the fact that Jesus died for my sin means God now delights in my sin? Does it mean that? Does the fact that Jesus died for you, died for your sins, died upon the cross, does that now mean God delights in your sin? He loves your sin? Does it mean that? That he no longer takes your sin seriously? Does it mean that? Oh, little Johnny is sleeping with his girlfriend. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. One day he'll grow out of that. Little Susie, she's cheating on her husband. Well, she just needs to get it out of her system. Then she'll be fine. Come on, son, Mike. Sit on my lap. Your heavenly father, I'm so proud of the fact that you are a self-righteous jerk. I'm proud of that. Now I want you to go back out there and continue to let everybody know you're better than they are. High five. (laughs) Is that the God you know? We live that way sometimes. We live that way sometimes. Loving God loving you where you are doesn't mean he keeps you where you are. He pulls you out to bring you to the place he wants you to be. God still hates sin. And if you are in fellowship with him, you will grow in hating it as well. Do you hate it? Do you hate yours? Do I hate mine? Not as much as I should. Not as much as I need to. And listen, I have bathed in the mud of my own sin too. I have. And I don't always practice what I preach. The things I'm saying to you now are probably going to go out later and not even believe it. So I too have to do preventive maintenance. None of us ever get to a place where we're above in this stuff. You see, one, one Christian says, truth in the inward being is what God desires in his people. And where that is present, it will manifest itself in all ways of life. If the gospel grabs your heart, takes hold of your life, it's going to manifest itself in every area of your life. And whatever you do, you're going to show that you are a believer in Christ. You can't help it. It's an overflow. That's the power of the gospel when it takes effect in our lives. So, how can we provide preventive maintenance to this? John tells us that you have to walk in the light as he is in the light as opposed to walking in darkness. If you are in relationship with God, you will begin to reflect Him, His character in your life. You will strive to live a responsible, transparent life before God, not hiding, not concealing things. You will bring to light those secret sins that no one else knows about. But God knows. He just wants you to admit it. You won't deny them, but you'll confess them. Piper says, walking in the light means seeing things the way God sees things and responding to them the way he does. 
Walking in the light means you hate the sin we fall into. You hate it. You see it as ugly. And you agree with God and you turn from it. That's what it means to walk in the light. You practice the truth, which is God's word. You practice the truth. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Do you hear the word? Do you spend time in the word? Are you listening to the word? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you here because this is the southern thing to do? To go to church. Just to check off a box. Or are you here so that God's word can speak truth into your life? So that you can actually live life. You see? To live life. That's what his word does for us. So we grow in our fellowship with him. And we grow in our fellowship with other believers. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus continues, well, continues to cleanse us from our sins. And that's what that means. When he says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins, it means he continues to do that throughout our lifetime. He is progressively changing us more into his image as we live this life. That's good news. That's good news. That he died on the cross for all my sins, paid for them, but the sins that I'm dealing with now, he will continue throughout my lifetime cleanse me from them. That's the gospel. That's good news. Do you experience that? So, that was one misunderstanding they had. Do you have that misunderstanding of fellowship? The second thing is that they had a misunderstanding of human nature. Verses 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this is different from what we just finished talking about. We're moving from sin is cool and okay to the fact that I don't have any sin at all. The false teachers here believe that Jesus' death on the cross has made Christians perfect. In the sense that I no longer have sin because I know Jesus. That Jesus is going to progressively make me more sinless in my life. That kind of thinking leads to self-righteousness. And John says you are self-deceived. And you pretty much are living in a make-believe world if you actually believe that. In the word of God, the truth of God is not in you. And so you're, if you believe, if we believe this, we don't really understand the truth. That we're not, Jesus doesn't make us sinless. He never makes us sinless. And what I've learned is, I've only met one person in my life who have claimed this fact to be pretty much sinless. One person. I think I've, I've shared that story with you several, several times. But, when we think about, when we talk about our sin, and when we talk about Christian maturity, we're actually trying to obtain this. And different folks I talk to, especially folks who, who lived a very immoral life before they came to know Christ. And then when Jesus finally saved them, they, 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 they live under this constant de- depression and, and doubting their salvation because they can't stop struggling with sin. I just can't shake it. And then the voice comes. 
you're not a Christian. How can you be a Christian and do that? And so the person now makes a commitment to be holy. I'm going to be holy. And I'm going to follow all the rules. That's one way. We try to attain a sinless life. Another thing we do is that, another thing is that we all have that one sin. Don't we? That one sin. You know what I'm talking about. The sin we always go to the Lord with. Promise, Lord. This time, this was the last time. I'm not going to do it anymore. I promise. This was the last time, Lord. I'm for real this time. I'm for real. We have that one sin that we feel like is holding us back from our full potential. And you know what that full potential is? No longer needing grace. Because we want to be sinless. Is this you this morning? Is this you? See, both of those are an attempt to have what we cannot have in this life. You see, Christian maturity and growing in relationship with God does not mean you become sinless, but you grow in seeing just how sinful you are. That's Christian maturity. That's Christian growth. Yeah, we have victory over our sin, but you ain't ever going to stop struggling with it till you die and cross over to glory. Christian maturity. I had to learn this the hard way. That growing in Christ, my sin becomes bigger. And the cross becomes bigger. Grace becomes bigger. Because I see the depth of it, the ugliness of it. And so we have to do what more what John says here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of denying our sin and trying to live a sinless life, you need to learn to repent and confess more. How is that going for you? How is your repentance going for you? How is your confession going for you? Because you ain't ever going to be sinless. If you're not a believer this morning, I'm here to tell you, when you come to know Christ, you ain't ever going to be sinless. You ain't ever going to be perfect. You ain't ever going to be holier than thou. And that's not what God requires of us. It's not. It's not. Just admit when you sin. Don't try to hide it. David says in Psalm 32, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's been hot outside this summer. And you know what it's like being in the hot sun? It's like it sucks the energy out of you. And when you don't repent, it's like the heat just sucking the life out of you. Because you're holding on to it. Trying to hide it. Keeping it under the rug. And Jesus, and David says, I will not cover my iniquity. I acknowledge my sin to you. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's what I'm talking about. And God does the same for us. And when we do that, He is faithful to you to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every time you repent, every time you confess, how is your repentance going? How is it? I was speaking with a friend a few weeks ago, and you know about some of my struggles and 
And I was down, beat myself up because, you know, I'm a perfectionist. I want my life to be lined up like I want it. And life is not that way. And what he told me, he said, Alex, you have to learn to embrace your sin. Not in the sense that my sin is okay, but in the sense that I realize I'm never, I'm not ever going to be sinless. And the Father knows that I am but dust. You see, this is not a loving embrace, but I embrace it to repent of it and to fight it. And in the fight, there are victories and there are times when I get knocked down on the mat. That's the nature of a fight. But God knows that you are a sinner. Even when you come to know him, he knows the sins that you're going to deal with. And he knows that. He's not shocked by that. It's not like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe she did that. <laughs> no. He knows. And Christ came because you're not perfect. He came because you're not perfect. So... That's the, the second misunderstanding about human nature is found in verse 10. He says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. This is the most serious of all the misunderstandings. Because this phrase, have not sinned, is made by someone who pretty much thinks they have never done anything wrong. Never done anything wrong. That I'm not a sinner. And when you start to go down that route, when you start to, to say things like that, he says, you make God a liar. And his word is not in you. And what does that mean? This means that, a, that, that we live in a culture where people think being good and having good morals makes a person good. That's because I go down and I donate some money to the Red Cross. I go down to the Gulf Shores and help out with the oil spill. If I go down to... Louisiana to help out with Katrina, if I give money to Africa, then that is good enough. My good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds, and in the end, God's going to show me favor. Because I did more good than bad. Is that what God thinks of us? Is that going to get you into the kingdom? And this is, we live in a, in a society now where people think they don't really need God. I'm okay. All I need is just a little bit of religion. Just a little bit. Just a little bit to help take away some of my guilt. I don't really see the heinousness, heinousness of how sinful I am. Because self-righteousness is sin too. Thinking you have your life all together. Thinking your life is so comfortable. Thinking you don't really have any issues. That too is sin to God. It stinks. It smells bad. It's like bad breath to him because the Bible is clear all have sinned all have fallen short of God's glory that's everybody here in America, here overseas whether you're rich, whether you're poor whether you're black, whether you're white we all have sinned and fallen short of his glory and guess what if you deny the fact that you have not committed sin, you just committed your first one how about that? How about that? There's no way around it. And like when I first I said when I first became a believer, 
you know, I, I became pretty much, a, I followed all the rules. You know, I had to keep the rules. That's what I did. I had my quiet times every day, my scripture memory. I read Christian books. I was in this Bible study. I, and I led a Bible study. You know, I went to church on Sunday, Sunday school sometimes. And I thought, yeah, this is it. And what happened, I became self-righteous. And I think God deserved to have me on this team because I was knocking it out of the ballpark. Jesus loved me because I kept the rules. But I didn't realize that was sin. That was sin. And then when God showed me that, guess what happened? I went to the other side. I didn't spend time in the world that much. I didn't share my faith that much. And I didn't like going to church anymore. And I didn't share my faith and I didn't leave Bible studies. Because I'm under grace now. I can start to live how I want to live. And I became self-righteous about the fact that I saw my sin and other people didn't. I'm better than you because I know I'm a sinner and you don't. You see, there's no way around sin. That's how messed up we are. And so it doesn't matter if you're over here, if you're over here. You're going to deal with it. You're going to struggle with sin. And John says, finally, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He doesn't want you to sin. But if anyone does, because you will, he says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous advocate. That he pleads your case before God. For he is the propitiation of our sins. And not only for our sins, but also the sins of the world. But what does that mean, Alex? It means that Jesus Christ has turned God's wrath into favor for you. God's wrath is no longer geared toward you. It went toward Christ on the cross. And now his favor is upon you. And if you know him, and if you don't know him, you can have that favor. Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not just for us here in Huntsville, but for every people group in the world Christ died for. Not just for one race or one culture. One pastor, um, um, James, James Montgomery uh, Boyce, said, this is, this is the principle of 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Forgiveness in advance for any sin that may come into your life. This is God's promise. And it's given to you precisely that you may not sin. God is not shocked by human behavior, as we often are, for he sees it in advance including the sins of his people. So in Jesus, you have forgiveness in advance for the sins you're going to commit when you leave here this week. Let us pray. Father God, I do pray that that we would know that we do have forgiveness in advance and that we will live in that. I pray, Father, that, that you will show us know ways in which we not believe in things about you do we know that you're alike i pray father that for those times when when we think we can say we know you and do whatever we want to do on the side you never call us to do that you're not honored by that i pray for those times in which we believe that that we can have a sinless life but lord there's no that we cannot have a sinless life in this life Lord, we can repent of the things that we struggle with. I pray that we repent more. 
And Lord, I pray that, that as we go out this week, you watch over us, protect us, sustain us. In Christ name I pray. Amen. I want us to have a time of, of this personal reflection, time of personal repentance about where you are with those three things. Are you dealing with it? Where's your sin? Are you beating yourself up? Do you need to take yourself lightly? Or are you just in sin you don't feel bad about it? So let's spend a couple moments now just in reflection and asking the Holy Spirit to show us our sin and lead us to the throne of grace. Thank you.